And uh, as we were talking, it just came to me that, you know what, I should just ask God. <laughs> Lord, what would you have me speak on this Sunday? You know, you know what your people need and you know what I need. And at the start of the year, the thing that I want more than anything else is to connect more deeply with God, to know God more, to walk more closely with my Lord and my Saviour, and to lead from that place of, of an authentic trust and walk in God. And so one of the things that I do when I'm seeking to connect with God or to, to reconnect with God, you know, we go through those times in lives where our, spiritual, our spirituality can seem a bit flat. Or we can feel as though we're on a bit of a plateau. And I was in that place. One of the things that I do when I'm in that place is I listen to old songs. I go back and there are a collection of songs that are very formative for me. And I'm sure you, 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 you have the same experience. There'll be certain songs uh, that were very formative for you in your early or your younger years of faith. And when you listen and reconnect with those songs, it, it does something. Something happens deep within your spirit. And that happens for me when I hear this song and I listen to it on Monday and I wept. And it was a beautiful moment of just really reconnecting with God and reconnecting with those earlier years of, uh, of journeying with him. There's something about reconnecting with our earlier years of journeying with God, isn't there? It reminds us that we've been walking with God for all of these years and that his faithfulness has always proven itself to be true. And so at the beginning of a new year, I want to invite you to consider this beautiful psalm with me as a song that has great meaning to me and to my spiritual journey. But I also want to invite you, maybe this coming week, to find what those songs are for you. With Spotify now that many of us have, it's uh, very, very easy to access songs of old and to be able to listen to them and to worship God and to reconnect with Him. It's a wonderful experience and I encourage you to do it for yourself. Well, Psalm 25 is a psalm of David. And we don't know when it was written in David's life, but clearly, uh, for those of us who know um, King David and the life of David, we know enough about him to have some inkling, some idea as to when the psalm might have been written and draw some possible conclusions. But it's also good not knowing. You see, in some of the psalms, they will actually indicate where during the time of David's life, about 73 of the Psalms out of the 150 are written by David. And sometimes we will get a little bit of commentary at the beginning of the Psalm indicating at what point in David's life that Psalm was written. That's not the case with Psalm 25. It is simply of David. It's attributed to him, but we don't know when. I think that's also a good thing because if the Psalm, for example, spoke of David's adultery with Bathsheba or his murder of Uriah the Hittite, then we might be inclined to go, well, I can't really relate to this psalm because I'm not that bad. I haven't done those things. <laughs> but the reality is that the psalms are the songbook for the people of God. They were the songs and the prayers for the people of God in ancient Israel, and they are just as much the songs and the prayers for the people of God today. 
It's wonderful when somebody is able to express something that we feel that we haven't been able to give language to. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we experience something, we have some feelings, we don't quite know how to express it. And somebody will come along, and whether they're actually relating to us, talking about something different, it's like, that's exactly how I feel. I had one of those moments yesterday. It was wonderful. Someone gave language for me about a situation in my life that I couldn't completely understand or explain, but it was as if a weight had been lifted. I could see things more clearly. And the Psalms are a little bit like that. They offer us language. There are so many things that we want to be able to communicate and say to God. We don't always have the language for God in his goodness has given to us language to be able to express our hearts and our souls to him. This particular psalm or prayer, is a, it's, an, it's written from an individual's perspective and it is a cry or a plea for help. It is highly personal. Fifteen times the word my is used and 14 times the word me is used. It is a wonderful personal prayer and I found real value this week in just sitting with Psalm 25, particularly the first seven verses, and praying them verse by verse and just really sitting with God and sitting with what that particular verse means for my life at this point in time. And we can do this with many of the Psalms. We can open up the Psalms and ask God to lead us and ask God to give us words and language that we can express to him. The Psalter, or the the book of Psalms, is a, a wonderful prayer manual for all of God's people for all time. And I implore it to you. And whilst this psalm is deeply personal, the psalms collective are very communal. They are indeed written for the people of God. We sing them and pray them together, recognising that God is deeply committed, yes, to individuals, but as we spoke earlier, God is deeply concerned and committed to his people, his family, his body. This psalm can be broken into three kind of defining sections. And the first section, one to seven, which is what we will primarily focus on this morning, and it's what the song, the Graham Kendrick song is based on, um, is the psalmist speaking to God. And then the middle section, with the exception of verse 11, is in a sense commentary about God, what the psalmist knows to be true of God. He finds it helpful to relate to God in this way. And then the psalm from verse 15 reverts back to this sense of praying to God. Let's walk through it slowly together. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. What a powerful statement. What a resolve. What a clear affirmation of trust and confident hope. The psalmist is saying, of all the things that I can or could place my trust in, 
I am choosing to trust in you, O Lord. This is a statement of faith that God is entirely sovereign and entirely trustworthy. And whilst many of us know this to be true in our heads, there is something very grounding and centering to be able to declare it and proclaim it. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Wow. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. What a prayer. (laughs) What an awesome statement of faith. And the psalm at large, all 22 verses of the psalm, offers all kinds of wonderful insights that demonstrates that the psalmist is not just writing from a theoretical understanding, but is actually writing from a place of lived experience. It is obvious that the psalmist knows God to be trustworthy and therefore he can with confidence place his trust in God. To trust means to rely on the integrity and justice of a person or quality of a thing. I looked up the Macquarie Dictionary definition of trust and there's all kinds of different definitions and these two words come up again and again. Trust is all about that which is reliant or reliant, reliable and that which we have confidence in. Reliance and confidence. Whether we are conscious or aware of it or not, we place our trust in a range of things every day. From the use-by date on the milk carton in the fridge to the brands of food that we buy that we've come to know and trust. Um, To bigger decisions like leaving our children in the care of others or to undergoing surgery by a surgeon and trusting in their wisdom and their knowledge and their skill. But the psalmist here is speaking of something much larger than a milk used by date or even surgery, he is speaking about his whole life, every single day, the whole journey of life, entrusting it into the hands of a loving God. He is fixed on God. As verse 15 says, my eyes are ever on the Lord. Wow. That's a challenge. In the times when we are less likely to trust in God, I'm convinced, are the times when our eyes are fixed on our problems and the problems around us. But look at what the psalmist says. My eyes are ever on the Lord. The Hebrew actually says, Unto thee, O Lord... Do I lift up my soul, as the song interprets. This is a picture or an image of complete dependence. It is the inward equivalent 
of raising hands in worship. Raising hands in worship is not some modern practice. It has its roots in ancient worship. To raise your hands in worship is a physical act of surrender to God. Um, It is to say, I trust in you. Just as an infant will reach up to be held or cuddled or comforted by a parent, when we lift and raise our hands in worship to God, this sense of saying, Lord, I lift my soul to you, God will comfort us. God will meet us in that place. To lift your soul to God is to lift your soul to the one who knows your soul most intimately. And it is to say, God, you know me. You know everything about me and I am trusting myself, my life and my circumstances to you. And you know the best part about it? You don't have to sort it all out. When a child, in a sense, becomes dependent upon their parent, it is then in the hands of the parent to act on behalf of the good of the child. When things are going pear-shaped and not as we had hoped or planned, the psalm offers us or models for us a posture of dependence and prayer upon God and then to stand firmly and to say, I'm Lord, in you I place my trust. At the start of a new year, I can't think of a better way to begin than to say, O oh Lord, in you I put my trust I lift my soul up to you. We continue. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. As a result of trusting in God, the psalmist has an expectation that God can and will act. God can deliver him from harm. And in this instance, in the first instance, the harm is public shame and humiliation. In an honour-shame culture, to be shamed is a huge deal that can lead to serious economic and social implications. For example, in an agricultural context, a failed crop could mean that you didn't trust God. Illness or infertility could mean you had grossly sinned against God. The other harm the psalmist speaks of is having the enemy triumph over him. Now, the enemy could refer to those who ridicule and mock the God of Israel. Or in a military sense, it could quite literally refer to losing a battle, which would indeed bring shame on a nation and most keenly their king. We don't know when David wrote this psalm, but he could very well have been writing this psalm as a king, referring to opposing or enemy nations that Israel was threatened by. What could this mean for us today? Perhaps it means being ridiculed or mocked for our faith by others. It could mean accusation from the devil 
who most certainly wants to cause us to feel shame. He says things such as, you're not good enough, you're not adequate, you haven't done enough, you're a failure. To trust in God is to know with confidence that such statements are lies. They are not God's truth. The psalmist is asking God to protect him from harm in every sense. Physical harm, social harm, emotional harm, spiritual harm. Verse 3, no one who hopes in you, no one will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. The psalmist has such confidence from his own personal experience of Yahweh that he knows it is transferable to anybody who trusts or hopes in God. You see, the language shifts. It's no longer my and me. It is no one. No one who trusts and hopes in you. And in this context, the word hope is a synonym synonym for trust. To hope in God is to have a confident expectation and in the reliability of Yahweh and his character and word. Shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. In other words, malicious behaviour will be met with God's justice. Just as the psalmist had confidence that God would deliver the righteous from harm, shame and defeat, so too we can have confidence that our God will deliver us and all who trust in him by meeting treachery with justice. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. The psalmist is so teachable. He has a deep, deep desire to know God and to live according to God's ways. He embraces the posture of a student of a learner. Do you find yourself in a sense of conflict, a place of conflict where you so much want to know God and you want to walk in his ways, but that's not always what you actually experience. There's, there's the desire and then there's the reality of lived experience and the struggle with sin and the struggle with feelings and the struggle with life's circumstances. That desire to know God and to walk with God and to learn from God is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And even though I feel at times I can relate, I feel so frustrated, I have such a deep desire to walk closely with God. And and my sinfulness gets in the way of that. But I know that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life because of that desire that desire to know God and to please him and to walk in holy ways is a good indication that the Holy Spirit is at work. And we can trust in that process and continue to submit to God 
and yield ourselves to him and his leading. Show me, teach me, guide me all day long. Not just sometimes. It's not a a casual or a part-time affair. The psalmist wants to learn and be guided from God all day long. It is a posture of lifelong learning, of being humbly teachable before God. In this section, he also acknowledges God as saviour. For you are God, my saviour. And we see here that this means that he depends on God not only for his past and for his sins, those things that have, in a sense, become a barrier between him and God, but he trusts God for his future, his salvation. That's true of us too, isn't it? We trust God as our saviour. He has dealt with our sins. We trust God as our, as our saviour for our future salvation. David is looking to God as the one who has infinite knowledge, wisdom and truth. He trusts in God to deliver him from his enemies, but also to lead him in the ways of righteousness. We were in Canberra only briefly for a week, but when we were there, I was so thrilled to have the opportunity um, to go and do a tour of the Parliament House as well as the War Memorial. And on both occasions, I was absolutely enthralled with the tour guide. After 40 minutes at the War Memorial, Andrew was completely over it, which for a seven-year-old I can totally understand. (laughs) It was an hour and a half tour, and I thought, I'll see how long we can get here. Um, So I thought 40 minutes was really, really good. But what really impressed me was just the knowledge that they had of the things they were speaking about. Here was I, a complete novice, and I just found it enthralling um, to be shown around by someone who had great knowledge, great experience, um, the things that they talk, the things that they spoke about, it was obvious that they really knew them well and they were able to respond to various questions and show us around. And it was great. And in a sense, when we're like the psalmist is crying out to God, God lead me, God guide me, we are saying, I don't, I don't know, I don't, you know way more than me, I might have some idea, but compared to you, I have very little knowledge, but you know all things. You know the best ways. You know the paths. You know the the truth. And so, in a sense, we are submitting ourselves to God as our tour guide, saying, God, lead me through this day as my tour guide. Show me. Show me your ways. Show me your paths. Show me your truths. And in your hands, I know I won't be led astray. In the middle section of the psalm, where the psalmist is speaking about God, he highlights the Lord's nature as teacher and guide. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his way. Verse 9, he teaches them his way. Verse 12, he will instruct them in the ways they should choose. What are the ways of the Lord? Well, it's not a mystery The ways of God are best shown in his character and nature. For example, in verse 10, the psalmist said, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who keep the demands of his covenant. The ways of God are the ways of love 
and faithfulness. We are so blessed that God has made his way known to us. It's not a mystery. It's not a surprise. God's ways can be known. God's ways can be learnt. God's ways can be followed. God wants to develop within each one of us the character of Christ and join him on his mission of being and bringing good news. And he wants us to follow, above all, the way of love, to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength, to love our neighbour as ourself and even to love our enemy. The ways of God are the ways of love. How we actually go about that on a daily basis, we ask God to lead us and to guide us. And God is so good. He has given us his word. He has given us his spirit. He gives us his ear. He is always listening and willing to be there for us when we call on him. And we also have the benefit of the community of faith. Faith is meant to be lived in community. What a blessing it is to be part of this community with so many beautiful, godly men and women who can show us the way. What a great place this is to do life and to do faith. At the start of a new year, what a wonderful statement and posture to have. Lord, show me. Lord, guide me. Lord, teach me your ways and your paths. Verse 6, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. The psalmist here evokes the Lord to both remember and to forget. And David here, the psalmist, is clearly aware of his sinfulness. He has a realistic understanding of the reality of sin in his life. He knows he has not always walked according to the ways, the paths and the truths of God. He recognises his great need and mercy for God's forgiveness. A little further on in the psalm, we read, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. And verse 18, Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. When David speaks of his youth, It could mean a number of things. It could mean his age compared to God, who is timeless, God who is from of old. It could refer to his days as a less mature believer. It could refer to a particular time or period in his life. It could mean his literal youth or teen years. It could refer to just his past in general. Regardless... The psalmist is asking God for his compassion. And whatever age we might be, if we've been following the Lord for a period of time, we no doubt can look back and feel remorse for sins we've committed in the past. It might be due to to our age or stage of life, or it might be just due to lack of spiritual maturity. But regardless, and for whatever reason... We have all committed offences towards God in the past that we feel ashamed of. We are all sinful and in need of God's grace 
and totally reliant on his undeserved mercy. The psalmist calls on the nature of God who has shown himself to be loving and compassionate and merciful, and he is asking God to apply those qualities to himself. At his very core, he knows that God is good and upright and loving and faithful, hence the very reason he can so confidently say, In you, my Lord, I put my trust. Psalm 25 teaches us about God, teaches us about the nature of God, that he is good, that he is upright and loving and faithful, teaches us that God can be depended upon as Lord, Saviour, Deliverer, Teacher, Leader and Guide. Psalm 25 teaches us about prayer, teaches us about how we can approach God. Prayer requires us to look to God in expectant trust. Prayer assumes a posture of humility and need. Prayer invites us to call on God for his compassion and for his mercy. Prayer is based on the name and the nature of God. It's not based on our eloquent words or our perceived goodness. In fact, prayer recognises our moral failure, that we are sinners. And prayer is both personal and corporate. This highly personal prayer finishes on verse 22 with these words. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. You see, even in the midst of a highly personal prayer, there is still a concern and a care for the people of God. Prayer is both personal, but prayer is also corporate. At the start of a new year, let's join the psalmist in his prayer. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. May God bless us today with the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen.